0: So have you ever felt like that, totally full and empty at the same time, where your schedule is too full, your time commitments are too full, uh, your finances are too full, just on and on again, relationships, and you just feel the pressure. There's almost not room to, in a sense, breathe. Well, this whole series is about, about margin and learning how to make room for life, to make room for the things that are of utmost importance, the things that bring us joy and satisfaction in our relationship with Christ as we live in this crazy, complex world. And our definition for a margin, let's see, I'm going to do a little test. Margin is the space between, between What? Load and limits. Exactly. That's what we're trying to find. We're trying to have some space between the load we're carrying and our limits. We're trying to, in a sense, have a budget for our life where we're not always deficit, always in the red, but rather in the black. And a part of that, as you've already kind of gathered this morning, today's focus is on community and the importance for you and I to have community, to have connection, to have friendship, to have fellowship, uh, all around this thing called faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're a guest this morning and you're still trying to figure that out, that is wonderful. We're glad that you're here. And we'll be talking about those kinds of ideas. Those of us who have said yes to Christ can start to move in this new direction. And there's times in my life, I'm sure there's times in your life, where in a sense I need to recalibrate. I've started to lose my margin, and now I need to kind of stop, pull back, and let God speak into my life so it's there. And one of the things as Americans is that you and I can find ourselves full but empty when it comes to relationships. Uh, they call this, uh, this idea of um, major um, or the majority of Americans experience something called crowded loneliness, when margin is absence, and the idea of this is that we can have lots of stuff, we can have lots of things going on in our life, actually lots of connection with people, but still have this crowded loneliness, still feel alone. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been in group gatherings, maybe 15, 20 or larger, and all of a sudden I have this wave. I'm, I feel alone. I'm like with all these folks, but I feel lonely. What is that and and how to fight that? We tend to have this crowded loneliness all over our lives. I like what uh, Randy Frazee says about this. If it is true that God designed us with a connection requirement, then it would stand to reason that if someone were isolated from connection, it would have serious negative effects on his or her life. And some of us have gotten burned when it comes to relationships. Some of us have had connections, and we walk away feeling hurt or crushed. But you and I, no matter who you are, we're wired, we're made, created, designed for connection. So when it comes time to think through this idea of margin and having room for life, a part of that room for life in our relationships, our community, all those kinds of things, friendship very familiar verse that uh, Solomon, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, God inspired. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. And this idea, again, of having relationships, having connections, and how they actually affect us. That our relationships, the community we travel in, the community that we're, uh, we own affects our lives. And if we have no community, that's, that's a tough situation to be in. And we can look like we have it, but we really don't. Or we can have community that uh, kind of steers us in a different direction. Uh, that's why it's so important for the community study, for community groups. What happens here on Sunday is, in a theory, hopefully, the icing on the cake. And the cake is this walk with Christ that you do, yes, as an individual, but you also do it in a group. Now, all of us have been in those situations where our community, in a sense, steered us in a different direction. And uh, growing up in a little town north of Boston, Ipswich, Massachusetts, we would, uh, during the summer, it was a bad time. All of us love summers. All of us are sad to see it ending and back to summer all that kind of stuff. But we had a, a group of guys, a gang, if you will, and we would just kind of zip around the, uh, the, the little development we lived in, two or three hundred homes, and try to find things to do without getting into too much trouble. And one day, we were dreaming of cooler days, and we we're thinking about sledding, and we saw one of these. It's not a flying saucer. That is a kiddie pool And we found one that was kind of cracked up. And we said, man, wouldn't it be great if it was snowing? We could all jump in that thing and go down a hill. And that would be just fantastic. Um, Some dad figured this out for his kid. Sends his kid down the hill. Kid doesn't look too happy. But the dad is. That's all that matters. But you get the idea. So we were thinking that. And uh, um, and uh, so we found this kiddie pool. It was cracked. We took it over to uh, Doyon Sand Pit. And that was kind of closed, and some of you may have heard this story before, or be aware of this, and we found one of the biggest sand mountain kinds of things, dragged this thing up the top, and then the six or eight of us get in this thing, you know, like all on top of each other, and woo, down we go. First run was scary, second run wasn't as scary, and then it got scary because we tried to stand up, you know, all these kinds of crazy things, and, uh, you know, we had just a ball, and uh, finally the, the poor kiddie pool was history. And, uh, by the way, uh, warning, don't do this. Uh, This is not an advocate. You know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You get the idea. But anyway, so we did this, and, uh, you know, a couple days went by, and uh, there wasn't, like, a surplus of broken kiddie pools in our neighborhood, but there was a surplus of kiddie pools in our neighborhood. So one day, all of a sudden, we got this hunger to go sledding in the pit again. Across the street... One of my neighbors had a kiddie pool. It's right on the edge of their property. It must be thrown away. No, it wasn't thrown away. We said, you know, let's just take it one time. Well, we took it. Yes, somebody already knows what's going to happen. One run, two runs, three runs, six runs. By the time we were done with this thing, this thing was as shredded as that last one. And, uh, of course, I show up at home, and, you know, those were the days where you left, like, kind of right after breakfast, came home, grabbed something to eat, and we're out again. And I came home for supper time, and it looked like I had been rolling in the pit, which I had been. And uh, my dad kind of, like, what went on? My brother had gone with us, and he squealed, Jeff, if you're watching, I still hold you responsible for that. And he fessed up that we had stolen the neighbor's pool. Uh, We kind of just got together. We had all decided this was a good thing. And uh, good old dad made me go around to each kid that was along with our ride. Talk to their parents, collect some money, and buy a new kiddie pool. And then I had to go to the neighbors and say, we stole your kiddie pool. Good lesson there. But anyway, uh, the idea was that group got us moving in a direction that wasn't good. Now, I have another friend, Dave Lobby. I've talked about him a lot. And uh, he, good friend from five years old on, if Dave had been a part of that group, we would not, or I wouldn't have done it. He would have talked me out of it, but he wasn't around, and so we did this thing. Because the reality is this, the people you listen to are a preview of where your decisions are heading. Anyone with a little bit of thought process, when we said we're going to take it for one run, knew what was going to happen. Somebody said from the audience said, it got broken. Absolutely. And so we, even as adults, even as we grow, even as we get older, have to realize the people that we're listening to are a preview of where our decisions are heading. So we need to make sure that we're wise about who we're really listening to. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have friends and people in our lives that uh, maybe uh, have a little bit of mess going on, a little bit of drama going on. That is not what I'm saying. But the people that are informing our lives uh, are going to be a preview of the decisions we make. So when it comes to that inner circle, I'm not talking 20 people. I'm just talking a few. We need to have a few people that we're listening to that can become a preview of the decisions where we're heading. And uh, we're going to look this morning at First King 12, 1 through fourteen. Just kind of skip through this uh, story of the third king, uh, or actually the fourth king of Israel, but uh, the third king in David's line. And uh, I just finished reading about the kings uh, recently, and it's just so depressing. It's they just one after another. One gets a kind of right. The next one's a disaster. One gets it kind of right, and I go, wow, this is this is so this is so sorry, I, I, why couldn't two or three kings got it right in a row? It just doesn't happen. They give in to uh, who they listen to, and we're going to see that happening uh, here in this uh, passage. So uh, 1 Kings 12, 1 through 14, that's page uh, 240 in the Rack Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that as a gift. Also, a great source to have your Bible wherever you are is uh, version. It's a free app. You can load it on your smartphone, load it on your tablet, and wherever you go, you have your Bible, and they actually have reading plans. So please take advantage of that. So we've got this guy, Rehoboam. This is the son of Solomon, and he went to Shechem for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. So the transfer of the kingdom is happening. All right, next transfer of power. One of the things that's great about the United States is when we go from one ministry to the other, usually there's not a big conflict like some of the other countries. Here we have this situation happening. It is transferring. There's excitement. What's going to be next? So in all this process, when Jeroboam, a son of Nebet, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He was a thorn in King Solomon's uh, side. Uh, he returned from Egypt. So they had sent for him. Uh, They wanted to have him be involved in what was going on. Uh, So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Put now a lightning, the harsh labor, and the heavy yoke he's put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered very wisely, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. So... Rehoboam is going to think about this, figure out what he's going to do. Uh, if you remember Solomon, Solomon was building stuff all over the place. Uh, he was on the move, and the people said, we need a break. And so uh, this is this conflict. Rehoboam is thinking about what to do. Uh, then we read, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. Uh, how would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. He asked. Real important, when you have a question in your life, who do you go to? What's your community? And do you, I've done this a few times, go to a group where you want a specific answer and you know if you set the question up a certain way, they'll answer and affirm what you want to do. Uh, Sometimes we do that. I want to do this. I kind of have a little bit of gut check about this, but I seek somebody else who's going to sign off, and I could say, this person agreed to it, so I'm good to go. So King Rehoboam's figuring out what he's going to do, and then we read on. They replied, if today, this is those advisors, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Sounds great. End of the story. Rehoboam becomes, I was going to say president, becomes king. And it's good. Not so fast. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him. And we're serving with him. I'm imagining these are privileged uh, kids, spoiled brats a little bit, living in the palace, getting everything they want. So he asks them, and you can just imagine what their answer is going to be. What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? But the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, But make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. The people you listen to are a preview of where your decisions are heading. Said a little differently, the people you listen to are a preview of the future you. If you really want to have a question answered in your life, seek out someone who's just not going to be a yes person in your life. But realize those people are going to be a future you. They're going to verify Confirm, and you're going to go a direction, and that's where you're going to head. See, the people you and I are around, uh, we we pick up the flavor that they have. Uh, some of you may remember this story. It was a number of years ago. Well, a lot of years ago now. Uh, you know, my mother uh, was fixing Christmas dinner, and uh, Cindy and I weren't there. We were visiting her parents. But this is a famous story. I wish I was there for this. Uh, I, uh, we always like brie cheese around Christmas and special times. So my mother had gotten some of that. And she put it in the butter drawer. And at the same time was going to make a chocolate silk pie. Actually, she made two of them. So you can just imagine beautiful Christmas dinner, all the fixings, all that kind of stuff. And she presents these pies. Everyone's like, chocolate silk pie, yum, 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 homemade whipped cream, all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody took their first bite. And something was very wrong with this chocolate silk pie. It had picked up the flavor of the brie. So it tasted like stinky cheese brie chocolate silk pie. Now I really wish I was there because my mom likes to do everything. And I wish I'd been there because I wonder how long it took before someone said, This something's wrong with this pie. <laughs> you know, you know, how long did how many bites did everybody take before they went, ugh. Oh! But they did go, ah, and it got thrown away. And the principle is, again, those that you and I hang around. And I'm not saying you don't hang around people that have messy lives. You don't hang around people that are seeking. But those that that are going to help inform your life, those people that you're listening to, you pick up the flavors of them, and they pick up the flavors of you. So there's also some responsibility. The flavors you present, your friends are going to pick up, and vice versa. And sometimes when we're just too close with people, this is what happens to us. As someone who oh, resembles not... someone else, go. I appreciate that Liberty Mutual knows everyone's unique. Mm. I mean, just because you look like someone else doesn't mean you eat off the floor <laughs> or yell at the vacuum or need flea medication. Oh, yeah. That's the spot. Ball. <laughs> Love that commercial. That happens. That happens. I all have another video clip. I'm not going to share with you where you have they have pictures of people that look like their dogs. I mean, picture after picture after picture. I don't know how that happens, but anyway, you get the idea. The people you're around, the people you listen to, inform your decisions and inform the future you. That's just what happens, and that's what happens with uh, uh, Rehoboam, uh, Jeroboam, and all the people return. The king says, I'm rejecting the advice of the elders. I am going to say what my friend said. There's just a big explosion. There's civil war. And the kingdom is never the same afterwards. And anyone who really slowed down and saw this thing unfolding would have been able to predict it when Rehoboam went to his friends that he'd grown up with. So... You and I have to think about the communities we function in, those who speak into our life. Not just surface things, but people that actually start to know who we are. So the question then is, what is community? What does it look like? How does it flow into our life and flow out of our life? In Acts 2, um, verses 42 through 46... Uh, We get a glimpse of what it looked like in the early church. There are some things that are very applicable. Some things are a little different from culture. But I just want you to get a flavor for what it was like. These people were in community. These people were connected. These people were speaking and shaping each other's lives. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That's communion, remembering what Christ did, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I think we think of finances, we think of sharing their possessions, but also direction, vision, goals. They were rowing in the same direction. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And I love those last four words. Community, connection produced glad and sincere hearts. And when you think about margin, you think about everything crowding in, there's moments where I go, where is my glad and sincere heart? Life is just flying at me. I'm allowing some of it just to fly at me. And I'm doing things semi-right, but I just don't feel great about it. Where is the glad and sincere hearts? It comes from having real, honest, true community. little definition for it is this. Community is a feeling of connection with others as a result of sharing common attitudes interests and goals. You're rolling in the same directions. The same things that are important to you are important to someone else and you sharpen each other. You know, sometimes as a Christ follower, honestly, I feel crazy. I believe what? I think that's important. I need to have integrity in this. I need to do the right thing when others aren't doing the right thing. This is craziness. And to come alongside someone else that confirms that direction, that following Christ is worth it. Doing the right thing, even when it costs me, is worth it. We need that kind of community. And coming just on a Sunday saying, hey, how's the weather? Boy, it's been a hot summer. Boy, it's been rainy, blah, blah, blah. You know, and just leaving our relationships when it comes to faith and fellowship. Fellowship is uh, relationships built around God's word, Christ and his center. Uh, Not having that makes life a lot more difficult. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I continually want to change. I continually want to grow. I've definitely not arrived at that. Talk to Cindy. She'll tell you that. i got lots of work to do. And I need people in my life to help that. Because the reality is this, is you are one community away from changing the course of your life. Some of us don't want community. Some of us don't want a change of life. So we keep a distance. And, um, That's that's your prerogative, to do that. But if you want your life changed in a good direction to continue flowing in that direction, you need to have Christ follower, faith-based community. Or the other community, or the the gang around town talks you into getting a pool that doesn't belong to yours, and you use it, and you destroy it, and, uh, you know, it's a disaster. Or you have friends that convince you to really be hard on the people, and the kingdom is exploded into civil war. You see, community around faith is of utmost importance. It's it's We were designed for it. We have to have it in our life. Again, back to uh, some of the things that uh, Solomon says, they walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Very important tipping point in my life, a couple tipping points, but very important tipping point was when I was in eighth grade going from middle school to high school. Eighth grade was on the lacrosse team, and they were wild. And they were all starting to cross those boundaries that uh, you shouldn't cross. But fortunately, I lived outside of town in that development, and most of those kids lived downtown. By the end of the summer, they were at a different place than I were. So when we got back to school as freshmen in high school, they were involved in doing things that I just couldn't take that big of a step. So thankful that I didn't, like, live down with them because I would have gradually taken those steps and been in a different place. And it would have been disastrous for me if someone or something hadn't intervened. So, walking with the wise uh, and become wise, fools of companions suffer harm, and that may seem a little bit harsh, but that is so, so true. So what what impacts community? What helps us move in that direction, or what impacts it in a negative way? Uh, First of all, obviously, the world we live in. The world we live in is a tough place it's hard, it has no give, it seems to have no mercy, the hardships are just just really hard, and even uh, you just you just can't be shielded from some of the things and some of the things at first seem to be really nice and wonderful But they don't turn out some of it's this increased mobility you and I have a lot of choices We can go anywhere. We want to go do anything. We want to do uh, You know years ago you were born in a community and you died in the community Your integrity was there for people to see you were known for who you were And it's just it just was it just was what it was and that that helped shape people that helped people to do things But now we can bounce around and travel and make all kinds of choices. We've got this increased mobility. Uh, another thing is this idea of a ri- of modern conveniences. And uh, this whole idea of modern conveniences, they're great, I love modern conveniences. I love air conditioning. Uh, I love it, love it, love it. I had to do a couple weddings and there was no air conditioning. And love it, love it, love it. But uh, it's interesting, a rise in some of these things uh, has caused a disconnection. Uh, my dad used to tell me that uh, the ladies in the neighborhood where he grew up, um, because there was no air conditioner, a lot of afternoons would uh, go under this big oak tree in someone's house, someone's yard across the street, and they would all sit, you know, bring their chairs out there, their kitchen chairs, and they would sit, and they'd like uh, snap peas, open peas, you know, do their beans, and all that kind of thing, and just the cool of the day, because it was cool under those trees, they connected. Today, that that would be like unusual. We would just stay in our home where it's air conditioned, do our thing. So it's all these kinds the conveniences that in a sense are great, but they disconnect us uh, from, from life. And there's also the rise in social media next week when we wrap up our seas, uh, series. We're going to talk about margin and technology and kind of dive into that. But uh, when you start to think about uh, social media and you start thinking about knowing what's going on in people's lives, I mean, you know what they're eating, you know when they take a breath of air, you know when they sneeze, you know, you know, just all these important things, you know, uh, and uh, it just, you know, you feel like you're really connected. But at the same time, we are the most connected disconnected people of all time. I mean, we know things instantaneously about our friends without even talking about them or talking with them and connecting with them. And it causes this disconnection. But again, we'll get into that. Uh, so the world we live in uh, you know, works against that. Also, there's the you that you live in. And that seems a little weird, but we all have different wiring. And uh, the you that we live in. Uh, some of us you know, are isolated and we like being isolated. And there's reasons for that. But the you we live in, we've got to get to the point where we actually see the value of having real connection, genuine uh, community. We read in Romans 11, 11, uh, 11 uh, to 12, Romans 1, 11 to 12, uh, we read, verse, let's just do 12, I mean that I want us to help each other with the faith that we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. And I love that last sentence. That is the Apostle Paul. Super Christian speaking, and he actually says, I'll help you with your faith, but you help me with my faith. If anyone didn't need help with faith, it would be Paul. Paul writes most of the New Testament, yet he's saying, I need you, you need me. It's a cross-pollinization kind of a thing. So you and I, depending on our wiring, may have to come to terms with we need other people in our lives, up close, personal, other people that are following Christ, that reinforce that rhythm of life in our life. If our goal is to avoid people at all costs, it will cost us. One of the benefits of a community group, one of the benefits of breaking off into small groups, one of the benefits of serving together is that you know other people. On Sunday mornings, it is not enough. You need to know other people. And when you avoid other people and don't have those kinds of connections, uh, you will find yourself isolated. Something happens, and yes, we as a church want to rally around and help you. But sometimes we just don't know. We don't even know what we're getting ourselves, because nobody knows, because you've stayed so isolated. Yet, when I'm connected with a group, and I have a need, I find I've got a team of people rallying around us. I love our community group. Sometimes, I don't know if I always love this, so sorry about this, but sometimes there's like a million text messages in one minute, but... I do love the fact that we really are connected, and people are texting back and forth, pray for this, pray for that, you know, this and that, and it's, it goes on all the time. And, and I just, I, I love the fact that we love each other, and that, that's just, that's not gonna happen. You can't do that with 100 people. Then you'd have a billion text messages back and forth in a minute. So when you and I isolate ourselves, it ends up costing ourselves. What are some of the great benefits of great community, of good community? Um, back to that passage in, Ecclesi- in Ezekiel. Uh, no, Ecclesiastes. Um, two people are better than one. When two people work together, they get more work done. Uh, what do we call that? Sometimes we call that synergy, right? You know, you put a couple things together and it makes more than the two pieces apart do. And that definitely happens when you're in community. If one person falls, the other person can reach out to help. But those who are all alone... When they have fallen, no one to, is there to help them. If two people sleep together, they will be warm, but a person sleeping alone will not be warm. An enemy might be able to defeat one person. I like this, but two people can stand back to back to defend each other. A person actually on the way out after the first service said, You know how, I hope this is correct, I think it is, um, our vision is like 180. Does that sound right? But when you have someone behind you, what's your vision? 360. So you see all the way around. So I love the imagery there that uh, uh, Solomon is giving us. And three people are even stronger. They are like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It is very, very hard to break. So community, real community, that real connection makes you better. All of us, I think, uh, want to be a little bit better, want to have good things in our lives, want to figure out how to do this thing called living in a more effective, faith-driven way. You do that when you have other people in your life. Uh, helps you find spiritual strength. I just, I just love the fact that, uh, again, like I said, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm rowing against everything. And then I get together, connect with somebody, and they say, no, this, this is the way it is. It, it feeds my spiritual life strength, my tank, and, and that, that can't happen all alone. Um, also, they tell you the truth. Don't know if I always like this, but it is good to have people in our lives that will tell us the truth even when it hurts. Because when they tell us the truth, It actually protects us all of us probably have a story where somebody said don't do that stay away from that and we didn't want to do it but we went along with it and we found that it protected us because if we had gone down that road it would have been a disaster also it gives you the opportunity to enrich somebody else's life everybody has value Everybody has something to offer. Some of us might say, oh, I'm new to faith. I don't have anything to offer. Your newness and freshness to faith energizes us old faith people. I've been, you know, 50-plus years. And when I see some fresh faith in somebody else's life, even though you may not know all the stories, even though you may not know all the details, it just lifts my spirits. So you enrich me. When you and I are in community, we enrich one another. So just again, a couple opportunities, community Bible study, all this information's in your program. Uh, groups, um, if you're uh, uh, trying to find something, I love what Johnny said. Again, be the initiator. Reach out, find a couple people, and get moving on it. Let us know at the office, or we might know of somebody else who's interested in your area, and uh, you can just move along. And again, this whole idea of faith and action and community is so important because when you and I in our community, our bottom line is this. Hearing from God is either helped or hurt by what you hear from your community. It's either helped or hurt. So we need community, and we need a community that is moving us in direction of taking steps in our faith. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that we're not spiritual orphans. Lord, I ask if there's anyone here who's never ever said yes to you, that even in this moment, uh, they might say yes to you and say, I want to follow you. I, I, that belief song we sang, That's Me, I Believe That. I want to place my trust in you and follow you. And then even in this moment, they would say yes to you and start uh, their relationship with you and, in a sense, be one of God's children, a part of the family and then discover that they don't want to be a spiritual orphan. And for those of us who have had bad experiences in community and church, uh, help us to kind of see our way through that. Maybe those experiences would uh, help someone else in the same place. Help us, Lord, to see that we're stronger together, and it helps us hear from you in more effective ways. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.